It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. That sound you can hear in the background is the sea. I'm in beautiful sunny Bournemouth for the Lib Dem annual conference. In this week's episode, I speak to Patrick Kidd, the Times sketch writer, about the mood of conference. Two former Lib Dem spin doctors, James McGorry, who worked for Nick Clegg, and Vanessa Pine, who was an advisor to both Vince Cable and Joe Swinson, now Lib Dem leader and deputy leader, of course. I'll also ask Matthew Paris and Henry Zeffman whether or not the Lib Dems have got a message for the general public and why anyone bothers coming to their annual conference. Don't forget, you can sign up to my morning email briefing thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on your Android device and if you want to join us at a live recording of a future podcast just go to mytimesplus.co.uk we've got events in Brighton for the Labour Party conference and Manchester for the Conservatives So I've ventured outside now. I'm joined by two former Lib Dem spin doctors. James McGoy's been on the podcast before, former spin doctor for Nick Clegg and joined five years in government. Vanessa Pine, former special advisor to Vince Cable, his business secretary, and Joe Swinson when she was a uh, business minister. Won't you both? We're, we're overlooking the beach. Down on the beach, we can see someone's written the words exit Brexit in the sand. That's how that's how Lib Dem it is. Well, you must have had to get up pretty early in the morning to do that and not be spotted, Matt. Uh, I think you've done some good work, but your E is fading away in the tide. I think you need to go back down there and tidy it up. Yeah, for the, for the um, clarity, although James is from open... Well, they call it Open Britain. Britain. Open Britain. Yeah, the kind of the pro-EU organisation. I had nothing to do with the graffiti uh, in the sand. But we are on the hill, uh, which links the um, conference centre to the Marriott Hotel at the top. And this is the famous hill where a car drove Pauline Prescott about 200 yards. And uh, John Prescott said it's because um, he didn't want the wind to mess up her hair. It's not that windy. It's been quite sunny today. It's just started spitting with rain. Uh, but Vanessa, yesterday, or on Sunday, we saw a protest at the Lib Dem conference. What was it about the Lib Dems that people felt they were so cross about they had to protest? Well, this is this is peak Lib Demery, Matt. Uh, we were so pro-European that we've got protesters protesting that we are not pro-European enough at our own conference. They've, uh, they've dressed in uh, some really rather attractive blue berets which have the European uh, gold stars on them and and I it's it's the fashion moment of conference you get the feeling 
Boris Johnson would probably describe his unpatriotic headgear. <laughs> I think you would, but um, uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of anti-Boris rhetoric at the moment and Vince is being encouraged to be increasingly anti-Boris. Um, not least because Rachel, his sister, is going to be in the audience tomorrow listening to the speech, which is, uh, which is fantastic. Listen, it's now properly raining, so let's go back inside and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up from there. So um, we've moved now into the uh, cavernous media room at the conference centre. It used to be busier, I'll be honest, when the Lib Dems were in government. There's maybe a couple of dozen journalists peering over their laptops trying to work out the stories which are happening elsewhere. They're going to write for their papers instead of uh, the Lib Dems. James, it's been busier than um, it is at the moment. When it was in government, the media took a bit more interest. Well, I think that's inevitable, it? it has been busier. I think what you'll see tomorrow is more people arrive to hear the great man's oratory when Vince takes to the stage. Um, the media is less interest. There's less interest nowadays. But from members, interest appears to be very high. The party is saying that they've got a record number of new attendees today. Not that surprising, given how many members we put on in the last year or so. So, Vanessa, Vince Cable's big speech, is he a great orator? <laughs> Um, I, I mean, the stage is set for Vince Cable. You've got the... It's a completely different question. The Tories, <laughs> <laughs> the Tories um, uh, are trying to dis- demolish the um, the economy with Brexit and the Labour Party just want to simply dismantle it. And we've got, um, you know, a credible spokesperson who predicted the financial crisis. I, I mean, jokes aside, it's going to be uh, a crowd pleaser tomorrow. And so the night before the big speech, what's, what's, what's the job of a spin doctor, a special advisor to the leader or big uh, you know, front bencher? How do you prepare? What, what's the sort of, how much rehearsal goes into it? How much faff and rewriting and all that sort of stuff's going on? Well, you shouldn't be rewriting too much the night before, to be honest, though we've all been part of speeches that were, I'm going to remove this whole ill-judged section on giving prisoners the right to vote, for just for example. Uh, and the jokes, yeah, um, clawing back jokes. But you normally do a rehearsal in the actual hall tonight because it's the only time you can have the whole room free. And actually then it's the first time most of us will have seen it full on, full, from start to finish, actually delivered as a speech rather than on various iterations on, on pieces. rehearsal is very important because otherwise you can't decide whether somebody's going to be statesman-like and stand at the lectern or whether they're going to be a man of the people and go for a little wander. I mean, bets on whether or not Vince will go for a wander, I suspect not. I, I've been told he's a, he's a serious grown-up and he'll be standing at a lectern. Precisely. Well, and then, but then sometimes even the lectern itself causes a problem. So I think there was a famous occasion where Nick had a glass lectern that was very tall and narrow and it cast an odd shadow when they put two glasses on top of it it literally looked like it looks like uh, Nick was very very well endowed uh, <laughs> uh, to the people doing the excellent job on the lighting uh, rig uh, and so it had to, we had to basically stick a big Lib Dem sign over the front to spare his modesty and this is why we rehearse that's why you rehearse and um, what about Jo Swinson how does she get on preparing for big speeches now now deputy leader of course yeah well I mean Jo gave a barnstormer of a speech both at the rally and on Sunday but I think she's she's quite a diligent person she prepares quite carefully um, but but you never know when things are going to go not quite to plan. So um, spring 
conference two years ago. Joe and I were waiting in the wings and the guy with the mic is standing there looking earnestly at her and she's wearing quite a nice bright pink dress that's rather um, figure hugging and he's looking at her quizzically not quite sure what to do with the little black box and eventually we realised what we were going to have to do is unzip the back of her dress and hook the the mic on the back of her bra except that he's time is of essence and she's basically standing there half naked in the wings whilst we was then and then the music intro music starts and so there's this frantic faff about getting the dress back on just in the nick of time so save the day nick, nick ever been caught with half a dress on just before he goes on stage not just before he goes on stage it's normally a thursday thursday night uh occurrence for nicola if if you will as well <laughs> Now the um, there is a there's an excellent story about what happened uh, the night on the I think Tim Fowler's first conference speech he was about to go on stage his spin doctor Paul Butters was uh, looking for him he said I'm just going to pop to the loo and uh, the music started Tim Tim could be found nowhere so Butters goes into the the toilet couldn't find him saw that a basically shouted effing get out of here. The, uh, the door did not unlock to the stall, so he, he basically barged his way in, only to find a very panicked and confused steward uh, very much uh, halfway through his business. Uh, and by the time Paul realised what had gone wrong uh, and got gone back out to the side of the stage, Tim was already on stage and, and well into his speech. So um, is this a length spin doctors go to for their uh, for their individual politicians? Yes. And the amount you agonise over the tiny little details, you know, like whether somebody's wave looks normal. And I mean, there are only a certain number of minutes you can spend thinking about whether a wave looks normal before you've gone completely mad yourself. What is Vince's wave like? It's, in my opinion, quite a while since we've had a Lib Dem leader who can really nail a wave. I mean, the Ming wave is going to be very, very, very tough to top, which was just put your arms, both arms, up entirely rigidly at 90 degrees and hold them there without moving for as long as humanly possible. A bit like a sort of torture technique. <laughs> it was really... Yeah. It was really a testimony to his stamina. That's what it was. Well, uh, one time... Former Olympic... Olympian. Olympian. Former Olympian. At one time, the fastest white man on the planet. I mean, quite a long time ago, but, you know. Uh, and Tim, when you're putting the speech together, you're obviously conscious that, you know, only the people in the hall and the real diehards are going to watch the whole thing. So how much do you sort of really focus on the bits you hope to be clipped up for the news and that sort of thing? Massively. Uh, a, you should try and aggressively point them out in your briefings for two days that these are the bits and then do it again on the morning with the broadcasters and make sure that you know you and Nick or you and Vince have agreed what they are and then try and deliver them as well as you can obviously but also down the barrel of the camera so that it gives the impression at home that you are speaking to people directly in their living room rather than just as you say a load of sort of party enthusiasts in the hall. Now speaking to some of um, uh, the press team the, the now lived in press team they've, they've expressed some frustration that every time they've come up with a good line for the speech uh, and they've told Vince he's then blurted it out in an interview. <laughs> he's done quite a lot of interviews in the run-up to and at conference. So they've had to keep trying to find more interesting language to put in. So I think the I, I could be a plausible prime minister was one of them. Uh, there were several. And even in the extracts they've they've put out for the speech, you can see they're ones that he's been trundling out. Is that a problem with, with Vince? He's just aggressively and relentlessly on message, you know, <laughs> in a way you could argue he's never been before. Now, what's going on about that? Because this is quite a big turnaround. You know, the, the, Vince very much being the guy who uh, was 
always, you know, needling the leader of the day, particularly when Nick was leader. But I don't think, you know, and Tim Fowen, you know, 12 months ago, Vince was going around saying he didn't agree with the party's policy on Brexit. So how much of a shift or how, how much does he need to change going from being the sort of the number two to the number one? I don't. Vince is so experienced. I genuinely don't think he needs to change that much. And also, you, you know, I made a little a little joke there, but people—that's what part of what people like about Vince. We've got a situation here that I've never experienced before, which is someone who's become Lib Dem leader, who's already quite well known by the public. They already quite like him, and they expect certain things of him. He's a sensible person. He talks a lot of common sense, particularly about the economy and now Brexit, and that's where he gets his respect from. So my advice to him would be: don't change too much. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a re- he is really authentically himself, uh, for all that that is a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> but yeah, authenticity in this age of... And what's interesting, they're trying to present him as the grown-up in sort of reversing the obs- obsession with youth in politics that we saw in the Blair years and that sort of thing. But he's 74. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's only 68, so it's not like he's, you know, he's a young whippersnapper. Do you think presenting him as the, the grown-up of British Jeremy politics Corbyn's works? Corbyn's political beliefs haven't evolved since about 1982. So <laughs> arguably, he's frozen in time at that point. So he hasn't, his, his political views haven't matured, and they're not, re- they're not reacting and reflecting the way that the economy is, is today. So, yeah, I think Vince is definitely the grown-up. So just very quickly then, because this has been what we've been asking uh, all through conference, both in the Red Box email and on the podcast. In a couple of short sentences, what is the point of the Lib Dems? You know, they've, their vote share went down uh, in the general election this year. They've only got 12 MPs. He, Vince says he's a plausible candidate to be prime minister. Nobody uh, totally seems to believe that, even possibly him. Uh, so what is the point of the Lib Dems, James? Well, a 50% increase in our MPs this year, which most parties would, would settle for. But... In all seriousness, there is an enormous gap in the centre of British politics. Corbyn's head off to the left, May's head off to the right. People want a voice of uh, moderation, of common sense, of good old-fashioned centre politics. And that's what Vince is going to offer. That's what the Lib Dems have always offered. Yeah, you know, times are not as good as they've ever been. But the Lib Dem fight back remains very much on and people want that voice. Hashtag Lib Dem fight back. We've been been talking about that for a long time. (laughs) I think also that, you know, people ask themselves that, Lib Dem members themselves. I asked myself that on the train on the way here. What is the point of the Liberal Democrats? But the fact is that there is a need for this movement. And one of the reasons why everybody comes here to the seaside, apart from to make good jokes for you guys, is is that um, you get together with a bunch of other people who really care about the same issues that you care about. And, you know, we give our members a vote on the policy, which the Labour and Tory party certainly are not uh, providing in the coming weeks. And and that it's nice to be with a bunch of people who care enough about the country to come together and, and, and talk about the big issues. And as James says, you know, where is where are the other two parties on, on these things? And Glee Club, do you both go to Glee Club? I have never been. Oh, I've been with you, haven't I? No, I've never been. I've never been, and nor do I. Nor do I intend to. Just explain Glee Club for any normal person. Well, as someone who's a huge fan of karaoke, which I'm sure regular listeners to the podcast will know, uh, it's basically like that. But instead of doing normal songs, you take famous songs and replace them with amusing or sometimes controversial Liberal Democrat lyrics. Um, John Hemming in previous years, I don't know whether he's around this year, has always played piano. Uh, I mean, Lemmy Kopik normally does a turn, Simon Hughes. I would ask people, what is not to like? 
I think there's a question though about what is the point of Glee Club because there's a <laughs> there is a rival now. In fact, two rivals this year on the fringe. There was Lib Dem Disco, which is in its sort of fifth year running, uh, of which Joe Swinson has been the champion twice. Poor, poor old Tim Fowen came second, didn't he? Yeah. Um, he? They wouldn't even let him win that. And there's even there's Lib Dem Karaoke now, and apparently Christine Jardine did the Proclaimers uh, five thousand miles and went down a storm. Um, uh, anybody who reads my column in the Times on a Saturday will know that I hate karaoke almost as much as I hate cats. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's, a whole, uh, that's a whole different podcast. Uh, thank you very much, James McGorry, former Spin Doctor for uh, Nick Clegg, now at Open Britain, and Vanessa Pine, former Spin Doctor for Vince Cable and Joe Swinson, and now Atlas, Atlas Partners. Both, thank you very much. So I'm joined now on uh, the clifftop by Matthew Paris, the Times columnist. Not not because we're, we're about to throw ourselves off, <laughs> just to be absolutely clear. Uh, but Times columnist uh, Matthew Paris and Times political reporter Henry Zeffman. So what what what's, what do we feel is the mood of the Lib Dems, Henry? What's, what's been your sense? Uh, I think it's slightly mixed. I think uh, in amongst all the jokes about how inconsequential the party that was part of the coalition just over two years ago uh, are... Uh, you have to remember that they they gained seats at the general election. They gained four seats. Uh, They lost votes, but they gained four seats. And I think there's a sort of restrained optimism uh, amongst uh, the activists I've spoken to here. They feel like they have a uniting cause Brexit, and they also, in Vince Cable, have a leader who perhaps uh, they think is a bit more of an adult, a bit more of a grown-up, who is, uh, to to use another person in the news's terminology, ready to, to pick the ball up if it falls out of the scrum. Matthew, they have got the advantage, it's quite unusual for a political party to get a new leader who was a lot better known and respected than the one that's just gone. Normally the new leader has to sort of establish themselves in the public's mind. With Cable doesn't have to do that. I do think that Tim Farron's leadership did hang a little heavy over the Liberal Democrat Party for, for as long as he was there. They were intensely loyal about him, they still are, and they'll tell you he makes wonderful rallying speeches and they're all saying he made a wonderful rallying speech here. But they did know that people were just not seeing him as plausible or credible as a as a national leader, and, and though no one said so, they they do know that Vince Cable is plausible, and I, I I think it's a it's had a sort of sobering effect in a good way on the party. They're taking themselves a little bit seriously, and by them doing that, rather than sort of wincing and grimacing at some of Fowen's odder remarks, they they just look more relaxed. Yes, people. The trouble with assessing the mood of Lib Dems is that Lib Dems are always a bit chipper and they, they always think that this, this could be the, the big break. They, and they, they manage to persuade themselves every time. And I, I have been going to, I think, 28 Lib Dem conferences over the last 20 You get, you get less of murder. <laughs> I've, never, I've never, never been to one where they, where, where they weren't sure that this was the time when the breakthrough was going to occur. And during the coalition years, you, you, we'd all come as journalists expecting blood on the carpet and huge rows and they're demanding change and they'd, be, they'd still be absolutely delighted about how, how sort of appallingly it was all going and they were facing certain doom but they, they sort of always felt uh, chipper Henry how do they find a way through Brexit I mean Brexit's quite clearly their, their USP they're, they're pitching themselves as the party that remain but it was only 12 months ago that Vince Cable said the idea of a, trying to overturn the result was um, patronising and rude to the electorate. How do they overcome that this time? 
I think the difficulty for the Lib Dems is that uh, Brexit may have happened uh, and effectively be a done deal before they have a chance to put their uh, alternative to the country. I mean, Tim Farron's strategy of demanding a second referendum, remember, was forged when they thought the general election was going to be in 2020, i.e. just a year after Article 50. 2022 is quite a different proposition. We will be out of the EU by then, probably three years out. Uh, We might be in some sort of transitional phase but most likely coming to the end of some sort of transitional phase and that's probably the difficulty for Vince Cable who bearing in bear in mind will be 79 at that point is they have to find some sort of alternative message which nods to Brexit which points out that they were arguing against this that they always said this would be bad but probably isn't quite a manifesto which says let's go back into the European Union they need to speak to issues like inequality and housing and that's a trickier task for a party of 12 MPs to do. I think they have less of a problem over Brexit than either of the other two parties. They, they have taken the leap. They have decided they want a second referendum. Now, they're going to lose a certain number of Liberal Democrat voters and a certain number of Liberal Democrat MPs and former MPs uh, by, by taking that stance. But it's a clear stance and people understand it and all they need to do is repeat it now. It is true that, that they may be overtaken by events, but just for the moment, I think we know where the Lib Dems are on Brexit and I'm damned if I know exactly where Labour is or even the Tories. Now one of the things, the recurring themes of coming to Lib Dem Com, I've not been, I think I've done maybe 12, so I've not done as many as um, Matthew, is it's always overshadowed by news elsewhere and this time it's been Boris Johnson who's been doing the uh, overshadowing. The, we've got the intriguing prospect that when Vince does his big speech, Rachel Johnson, Boris's sister, is going to be in the audience because she's now a fully paid up member and, you know, Ramona. Um, what, what do we make of the Boris? I mean, he's been the, the butt of jokes here. We've seen a Boris impersonator singing anti-Brexit songs. Is he... I mean, he's a figure of fun here. Is there a danger he's a figure of fun everywhere, Henry? Well, I think for all that he had become this sort of central object of animus amongst uh, Remainers, whatever party they may be in, in the Conservative Party, I think Boris probably feared, had, had started to forget about Boris. You know, in the summer, as, as, as Matthew identified in a brilliant column, uh, there was something called Mogmentum, believe it or not, where, you know, a serious number of Conservative activists started to turn to the figure of Jacob Rees-Mogg and think, oh, maybe this is our man. And I think what Boris's slightly peculiar 4,200-word article in The Telegraph was about as well as being about the NHS and his vision of Brexit, was was saying to the Tory grassroots, I'm still here, I'm still your man, I'm still the person who, who delivered this glorious Brexit. You know, remember me when you start to think about who should succeed Theresa May. Now, Matthew, in another one of your excellent columns, you were pretty blunt in your assessment of Boris Johnson and his shortcomings. Have you seen anything in those 4,200 words which caused you to rethink? No, 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 no nothing at all. I... I I did have a really good go in in that that column and I've kind of decided to stop bashing him now because well I think he'll do the job himself on his own and people are bored with 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 people like me talking about him but no I it rather depends quite how mad you think the conservative party has gone or could go I don't think they've gone quite as mad as Boris may hope I I I I think most people will think it was a pretty rum thing to to write that article or to try to make that speech at this moment and they will see it as unhelpful everyone knows it's unhelpful and I suppose what Boris hopes to do is to consolidate 
and solidify the support that he has from the, the really serious Brexiteers. He may do that at the expense of raising a lot of eyebrows, even amongst Tories who are rather inclined to find him an amusing fellow. And I think, was it in Bournemouth when he was at the centre of a massive scrum? It was when the first signs of Boris mania happened. I think he'd said something rude about Jamie Oliver. And it was in the conference centre that he ended up becoming surrounded by journalists. And we've seen that in successive Tory conferences where he sort of turns up and the media goes mad and then everybody goes to an event and he doesn't say anything remotely interesting. What do you think the interest in Boris will be at the Tory conference when we get to Manchester? I do remember the last one. It was here. You're quite right. It was in the room where we uh, are working. And he had said that mothers were having to feed their children through the bars of school gates because uh, the, the, the Jamie Oliver's food wasn't nice for children uh, and then he didn't have anything much more to say after that he hid for quite a, a while I I remember he has a little bit of a habit of attracting attention and then falling rather flat on on the follow-up what what next I I doubt he knows and Henry do you relish the party conference season uh, absolutely I mean this is my first liberal democrat conference uh, everyone's very nice uh, almost suspiciously nice. If it, if it were a, a, an Agatha Christie uh, novel, I would start to be worried. But yeah, yeah, of course I do. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, get get a load of people weird enough to join a political party down to the seaside uh, or one of the great cities of the north. Uh, what what could go wrong? Now, Matthew, some people might ask, why is the Times star political columnist bothering with coming down to? I mean, the, a lot of the journalists here are not. You know, there aren't many political editors here. It's you know, it's one for the junior reporter or, or whatever What's, what, what has brought you down to Bournemouth I'll have to give you the absolutely honest answer I started uh, when I started working for the Times in 1988 uh, coming here and uh, I have come to every Liberal Democrat conference and all the others too every year since 1988 and you have to have a really good reason to stop and it, it, just, it would just seem a bit mean to stop now that they're down only to eight and the fact is Henry is quite right they're, they're such nice people I like to see them and they're always very nice to me and sometimes there's news and who knows tomorrow maybe there'll be news and there were literally worse ways of spending a working day than standing like we are now the sun's going down over this amazing uh, beach. There's not a huge amount of news or work to do, but don't tell the news desk. Um, and uh, yeah, there were, it's, this is better than being in Parliament, where there's not, where there's literally nothing going on. As ever, Matthew Paris, Henry Zeffman, thank you very much. Well, next, I caught up with Patrick Kidd, the Times sketchwriter, who's also been in Bournemouth for the whole of the conference and I began by asking him how he goes about finding humour at the Lib Dems when frankly sometimes it's a bit too easy taking the mick out of them can feel a bit like kicking a small puppy well it's easy to say the mick but actually I'm looking out for signs of life in this this party really and Tim Farron we saw uh, gave a very good passionate witty speech that, that the crowd well they gave him a standing ovation before he began speaking that's a sure sign you're a former leader when they love you Vince Cable you know I won't say the atmosphere is electric, but the mobility scooters are. Um, there's, there's, it is typical Lib Dem territory, and, and the cliches that we bring up actually are true. I saw a man at breakfast wearing a uh, T-shirt saying, this is what a feminist looks like, another wearing sandals with bare feet. Um, not as many beards as previous years. It's you know, in fact, the Beard Liberation Front uh, claims that they're, they're concerned about the, the lack of beards. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm very concerned. But actually, it's, you know... They talk about their membership going up. They're past uh, 100,000, and uh, 
there, there, there are signs of life, life to the party, but you wander around the conference hall. It's, it's, a, it's a weekday. Yesterday was pretty drizzly. It's quite nice today. And you're not going to have much signs of life anywhere at Labour or Tories either. And just in terms of the, of the big conference speech, how much difference does it make? I mean, there's always the cliche of, uh, you know, there are two audiences, there's the audience in the hall and the audience at home. Is there really an audience at home, do you think, for a Lib Dem leader speech? I mean, at best, it's a couple of clips. Does it matter if, I mean, Vince is not one of life's great orators, but does it matter if most of it isn't that scintillating, as long as, you know, they get a couple of key messages on the news? Yes, I'm trying to, trying to get the sound bites for the news is, is important. Of course, that's what they brief out well in advance as well, hoping people w- would be writing about it before it's even delivered. I was at the TUC conference last week where Jeremy Corbyn gave an OK speech. He's, I've seen him give a lot of very bad speeches. This one is getting better. But it was received in near total silence in the hall, and a bit of coughing and the odd clap. And then at the end, he said, my message for you today is go out and join a trade union. And that sound seemed very odd because they were at TUC conference. They probably are already in trade unions. Um, and he was clearly trying to address this message to people outside the hall. But my feeling was, if you're watching a TUC conference at three o'clock in the afternoon, you're probably sympathetic, if not a trade unionist anyway. So I'm not sure who follows conferences. Uh, but they are all televised. BBC Parliament runs the speeches right through party, party season. Uh, it won't change anything, but I suppose it's about giving the party faithful something to some spring in their step as they go and deliver leaflets during those wet winter months. And for people like us who, who, who go to Lib Dem conference or other people don't have to, you do get a sense of, you know, all, all, all the conferences. Is this, a, is this a party machine which knows what it's doing? Can it brief speeches properly? Can it write speeches that hang together? Do they have new and interesting ideas? Or is it, you know, a confused mess and all that? You, you can get a feel for where a party is from, you know, do they put on a good show for three or four days? Yeah, a lot is about, about the sense to the party members and to the media. Not that there's many here in Bournemouth. Um, actually, what was quite interesting was that seeing armed policemen, and, and now I know that reflects the, uh, the security situation we're in, but also you wouldn't have, had, let's say, had armed policemen even at the height of the, the troubles if the Lib Dems weren't doing well. Um, and so there is a, a feeling they're, they're gradually coming back to life. The, the Lib Dem Glee Club, which is a tradition uh, of party conference, was packed. There must have been well over 500 people in a room singing rude songs about Tony Blair until one o'clock in the morning. So they're in good spirits. Their membership numbers are up. The hall is OK. Um, but, you know, you, you, you don't feel this is a party ready for government. You also don't feel this is a party that necessarily wants to be ready for government at this stage, whatever Vince may be briefing about is just uh, one election away from Downing Street. And the membership is changing. Apparently the... Uh the hotel bar is over-ordered real ale and they're, they're running low on gin. Based on previous years, they, obviously the, the clientele is moving. It's the, be- the beards are out and the, uh, the hipsters are in. Yes, I, I did a story a year or two ago when, when someone looked at uh, com- comparing bar takings in pubs and restaurants near conference centres with how they were doing on normal week and they found that the Tories and Labour Conference put on about 20% in sales and the Lib Dems there was actually a fall of about 6% uh, which is, is quite awesome. You, you can't predict anything in politics least of all who's going to drink what. Uh, but they are drinking. Um, it's, it doesn't feel throbbing though but maybe it hasn't throbbed for a while. <laughs> um, I think we'll, we'll leave it there with just the, the mental image of a throbbing Lib Dem. Uh, Patrick Kidd, thank you very much. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Now, I had hoped to round off uh, this week's episode with a very special game, Lib Dem Zipwire Challenge, uh, in which Henry Zeffman and I were going to go on the zipwire from the Bournemouth Pier down to the beach while trying to name as many Lib Dem MPs as we could. Unfortunately, um, the, Lib De- the zipwire is not in operation. They clearly didn't feel that the influx of uh, Lib Dems to town was going to be sufficient. So instead, uh, Henry and I have had a game of mini-golf uh, in the centre of Bournemouth, and uh, who who was the winner? Uh, I don't recall. I mean, obviously, mini golf was the winner, uh, but someone else won uh, by six shots. So, um, very much well done, me. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week in uh, Brighton for the Labour Party conference. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes on your Android device. Sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. But for now, for me, Matt Trolley in Bournemouth, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.